The scripture lesson today comes from the book of John, chapter 16, verses 20 through 22. It's found on page 97 of your New Testament pew Bible. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she is in pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. So today we come to the last in our sermon series on joy as an act of resistance. And as I, uh, as I approached this sermon, I, I realized I had a few ideas rolling around in my head that, that didn't necessarily go together, but that also seemed too good to throw away. So I am dubbing this the leftovers sermon. Like when you have, you know, some spaghetti and half a burrito and some coleslaw and you, you call it dinner, right? So, we are cleaning out the fridge in this sermon. Would you pray with me? Loving God, meet us here in this moment, though we, though we may be distracted or worried or just weary, and through your holy word, remind us again what matters most and to whom we belong. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So, one thing I've been really curious about as I've been you know, going through these weeks, is the relationship between joy and sorrow. So joy and sorrow, they sound like opposites, right? They're similar to their cousins, happy and sad. But if we look more closely, we, we find that we can't really feel deep joy in the world if we have cut ourselves off, uh, protected ourselves from feeling deep sorrow. It's, it's like they come from the same source, the same place within us, and often move back and forth even in the same moment. The connective tissue there, I think, is, is love, right? The things that we care most about in this world are the things that bring us the most joy and our most profound sorrow. And despite the many ways our culture and advertisers try to convince us otherwise, we, we really can't have one without the other. It's also interesting how physically we embody both so similarly. How hard it is to tell the difference if someone is bent over in laughter and how, how they might look the same as someone bent over in pain. And tears, whatever tears are, the way our eyes just start leaking when we are in deep Joy or deep sorrow, the same physical reaction is fascinating. So far from being opposites, they are intimately connected, aren't they? It reminds me of, of a poem of David White, some of you know, one of my favorites of his, called The Well of Grief. He says, those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief turning down to its black water to the place we cannot breathe. We'll never know the source from which we drink 
the secret water cold and clear, nor find in the darkness the small gold coins thrown by those who wished for something else. Isn't that beautiful? But if sorrow is not the opposite of joy, then what is the opposite? Clover and I have been trying in this series to argue, I think, that, that joy is this gift from God, it, it, something that wells up within us and, and assures us that life is good even when circumstances would suggest otherwise. So maybe, I wonder, if the opposite of joy is when we are depending too much on this worrisome world to not trust the ups and downs of this life that beneath all of that, that God is present and that at a cosmic level that all is well still. In other words, maybe the opposite of joy is anxiety or a lack of faith. A lack of faith that leaves us overly burdened by the weight of our troubles. And so the second of my leftovers is this wondering about the relationship between joy and worry. And of course, we are creatures of worry, and a certain amount of nail-biting is to be expected in this life. But I think there has never been a time in history when we have been so aware of so much that we have so little control over. And when I think about what, for me, really takes away my joy, more than just about anything, it's when I feel overly burdened, uh, burdened by my responsibilities and my problems and whatever trouble my kids are getting themselves into, and, and then the litany of world problems, you know, the politics and the our dying earth and the violence. and It's a great deal for us to hold, isn't it? And I think we need to be clear that to feel overwhelmed by worry in this world is a very reasonable response. But, but it's not helpful either because that worry can paralyze us and, and take away the very energy and the imagination that we need so much to deal with all that we are trying to hold. So the antidote, I think, is to, as much as we can, to release ourselves and hold more loosely the things we really can't control. It's, it's almost a game that I, I try to play with myself, where I ask myself, am I doing what I can with my world, the larger world, am I doing what I can? And then can I let go and turn this switch to turn off this never-ending litany of worry so that I can turn on the beauty of the very present world around me. You know, the famous uh, serenity prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr, it's, I know it's almost a cliche, but it is, it is brilliant in its simplicity. He says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change and courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think now more than ever, if we are going to find joy in our lives, in this world, 
we are going to need to remind ourselves that there are things I can't control and can't change, and remind ourselves that God does not wish for us to live lives that are burdened and weighed down with worry. We are allowed not to carry the weight of the world. And the last of the leftovers is a wondering about what I'll call the relativity of joy. I would wager most of us did not feel especially grateful this morning to be able to get up out of bed and walk into the kitchen. But think about the times when you've been sick with the flu and laid out on your back for three days straight. And then how glorious it is the next morning when you realize that maybe, possibly, that you are back among the living. It is like Lazarus emerging from the tomb. And there is no greater joy in that moment than to simply get out of bed, walk downstairs, and make yourself a piece of toast. It's doing the very same thing you took for granted a week ago, and the very same thing you'll probably take for granted a week from now. Now, this idea, though, is, is troubling to me. I think because it suggests that joy might really be nothing more than this kind of reflexive response to the, the winds of the day, how our world has changed relative to the day before, if that makes sense. For example, when I was in my 20s, I lived in an apartment and I had no garage, right, to park my car in, so I, I longed for the day that I would be able to scrape would not have to scrape the frost from my windshield. And when Laura and I got married, we, we, we bought a house that has a one-car detached garage. I thought I had won the lottery. For marrying Laura, I mean, not, not the... <laughs> be straight about that. The garage, though, was great, too. Well, now we have a two-car garage, right? And I'm very grateful for it. But, you know, I just think a three-car garage would really make my <laughs> joy complete. I, and it makes me wonder if joy is just this relative thing. And, of course, at one level it is. But I was thinking about all this when I read an entry on the Caring Bridge website. Some of you know what this is. When someone's going through an illness, they can post on it to give updates. Uh, from a con someone in the congregation... And I asked if I could share a little bit of their, their story today. Uh, some of you know David and Alicia and their two teenage daughters. And you know that this past May, uh, May 14th, David, who's he's about my age, went in for surgery to repair something with his heart. And something went terribly wrong. And after the procedure, his heart unexpectedly and inexplicably uh, would not begin pumping again. And of course, their world collapsed. And in that moment, they had to make the decision to do an emergency heart transplant. And so over the last four months, since mid the middle of May, as you can imagine, they have been through every emotion possible as they've roller coastered between these little steps forward and all the frustrating setbacks and worries. And I'm happy to say that this just this past week, after more than four months, David was released from University Hospital. He's on his way to rehab. And Alicia shared 
this, I'm going to read to you this, this uh, piece on the website. She said, David and I learned today that he has finally gotten a spot in rehab and should move on Monday. We are so grateful and really excited. This should give him the opportunity to get stronger and to learn what his new heart and still recovering lungs are capable of. And God willing, the next step should be home. All caps, exclamation mark. And she goes on, she says, we also got to go outside today. Now he has had so many tubes for so long that this is still only one of a handful of times he's been outside since May. He's now just on oxygen to keep supporting his lungs. And it was a gorgeous day in Denver. Sunny, a little windy, but not too hot, and that end of summer feel. So I was given wheelchair driving privileges and gave him a tour of my favorite part of the Anschutz campus. And we just sat and watched the sun slanting through the trees and watched the tall grasses waving in the wind and enjoyed being together. I pray wherever you are and whomever you are with this evening gives you the same joy. And I was caught by that word joy again and thinking about the relative nature of joy. But something in the way she talked about it made me realize that joy is not relative. And it is not a reflexive response simply to whatever the last chapter of our lives have been. Because it is not the lack of being able to go outside that made being outside so beautiful. The lack of being able to go outside reminded them that the wind blowing on the, warm, on the grass in warm Colorado is beautiful. It isn't just beautiful and amazing relative to a stale hospital room. It is beautiful and amazing, period. And sometimes it takes being in a hospital room for four months for us to see it. There's a subtle but I think important difference. And our joy may be awakened by relative circumstances, not because joy is relative, but because the absence of something can awaken us to the miraculous nature of all of this that we get so numb to. The sun slanting through the trees is miraculous. Getting up out of bed and walking to the kitchen is miraculous. Life is this one amazement after another. It's an embarrassment of wonders. And joy isn't dependent on our relative circumstances. Joy depends on our ability to see the beauty and the wonder despite our circumstances. So here are your leftovers to take home today. One, be courageous in embracing the sorrow that you experience in this life. Because it is from the same well that you will draw life-giving water sometimes. And may you trust God enough to let go and let be the things that you really don't have control over. And as you walk out those doors today, try to imagine just for a minute that you've just spent the last four months in a hospital room. 
And tell me then this world isn't full of joy.